Well, good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you all here. And you'll need that uh, passage from Mark's Gospel open, because uh, we're going to look at it this morning. But how about I pray as we uh, look at the Bible? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that on this day, this Good Friday, wherever we're at with you, you would make us clear, you would make yourself clear to us, that you would that you would help us to see who you are and what you have done for us. And we would walk away from encountering you today, change. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there was a period of about two weeks where three of, the fr- three of my uh, school friends actually died very tragically, very suddenly. They were all 40 or below and, uh, you know, the, the older I get, the more I still consider myself young, so I consider them young. And when I was talking to some of my other school friends about these deaths, uh, the question came up was, why? Why did they die? Why did they have to die? So, so when someone dies, especially someone young, we want to ask, is there any meaning to this? Unfortunately for my friends uh, who died, there was no real apparent meaning right there. It just seemed like this tragic loss of life. Now, I dare say, if you were at the hill of Golgotha where Jesus was crucified, I dare say there would have been at least a few people that said, well, why, why is this guy dying? If you were one of the disciples or one of the women who was following him, you would have definitely asked that question because you would have seen him do great miracles, feed multitudes with just you know, a, a few fish and a, a few loaves. You, you would have seen him do amazing things. You would have heard him teach so brilliantly and here he is dying. And you would ask, why? Why is he dying? And unlike my friends who tragically passed away, there is actually meaning behind this death. There are reasons behind this death. And here's what Good Friday says to you and me. It says, are you willing to look at Jesus dying on the cross and see what's really happening and see how it's meant to affect your life? Why did Jesus die? I think there's a multitude of reasons, but we're going to see three things today. Why did Jesus die? Firstly, to show us who he is. Secondly, to deal with our darkness. And thirdly, to open the way to God. To show us who he is, to deal with our darkness, to open the way to God. Let's have a look at this point. Why did Jesus die? To show us who he is. And what I want you to do right now is actually flip one page back in your Bibles. To Mark chapter 14. In Mark 14, uh, Jesus uh, is tried. Tried before a bunch of religious leaders. And let's see who he says he is, who Jesus says he is. Have a look at verse 60. Mark chapter 14, verse 60. It says this, Then the high priest stood up before them and asked, Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? He's asking, Are you God's appointed King? And here's what Jesus says. Verse 62, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
Now, what, what you've got to realize is Jesus is using language that, that, that's a bit kind of foreign to us, or a lot foreign, but it's very clear to, to the people he, were talk, he was talking to, because you can see their reaction. Verse 63, the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? What Jesus was saying or alluding to was a very familiar passage in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 7, where this one like a son of man who is coming on the clouds, who is going to judge the world, he is saying, I am that son of man. But do you see where he is? He is sitting at the right hand of God. To sit at the right hand of somebody in in the ancient world, is to say you have equal status with them. And so Jesus is not just saying, I am that son of man, but I am God. And did you notice, he's going to come and judge. They are judging him, but really he's saying, one day I'm going to come and judge everybody. But Mark will go on and show us who he really thinks he is. Flip over to chapter 15 and verse 2. What's interesting in the Gospel of Mark is that there's, Jesus is called many different things. But when we get to chapter 15, there's one word he gets called over and over and over again. Have a look at 15 verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. They, so they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Have a look down at verse 9. This is Pilate asking the crowd, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Have a look at verse 12. Pilate asked the crowd once again, What shall I do with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Have a look at verse 18. The the soldiers are mocking him. And and in verse 18, they began to call out to him, Hail the king of the Jews. Of the Jews. Verse 26, the written notice above Jesus on the cross was this the King of the Jews. Mark is trying to say, don't you realize that this is Jesus, even though he's been crucified, there's something more about him. He is the King of the Jews. He is the King of God's, God's chosen people, and therefore he's the King of the universe. He's not just some criminal who's being crucified. See, Jesus in Mark chapter 14, and Mark all the way through his gospel, but especially in Mark chapter 15, is saying that Jesus is no mere man. The one who has power over hurricanes has become human. The one who is power incarnate has become a person Life itself has become life and walked among us. The one who created the greatest galaxies is here, God in the flesh. This is what Jesus is claiming to be. He's not claiming just to be a teacher. He's not claiming just to be a a guy who did some miraculous things. He is saying, I am God in the flesh. I am the king of the universe. And what you've got to realize about Jesus and Christianity, therefore, is it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Either Jesus is who he said he is, and therefore he's your king who you live for, or he's nothing at all. He can't be just 
merely something that's merely interesting. Christianity is, is either the most life-changing disclosure of the deepest reality of the world or it's just a sham. It's just nonsense. And Jesus is a fraud of the evilest kind. Jesus demands that you throw down your life at his feet and say that you are his, nothing less. And he's either all that or he's not. But, but so many of us Aussies like to think of God as a mate. Jesus as a mate. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is there. And when I'm really in trouble or when I need a car park or something, I cry out to Jesus, right? But if Jesus is who he says he is, do you realize that you owe him so much more than that? You owe him your life. And the question is, is he really worth it? A friend of mine got married uh, recently. He was um, going out with this girl for 12 years. And I asked him, what changed? You know, 12 years, man. Like, what changed? Why did you decide to get married? And he, and he said to me, one day over dinner, she said, I'm sick of this. I'm either worth you giving your life to, committing to me 100%, or you walk away now. It's either 100% or nothing. I'm totally sick of this. And so he married her. And I said, well, what, why did you marry her? What, what, did you, what did you think about? And he said, I realized she was worth committing my life to. And Jesus today is saying to you, it's all or nothing. Are you going to commit your life to him? But the question is, is he worth it? Is Jesus worth it? And that's what we're going to see in the rest of the passage. Is he worth it? Well, the first point, the, the first reason why Jesus came to die is to show us who he was or who he is. And secondly, it's to deal with our darkness. I, I wonder if you saw on the cross uh, what was happening. Have a look at verse 33. At noon, this is the middle of the day, Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And, and we read that and we go, wow, that must have been scary. But it becomes truly terrifying when we know what's really, really happening here. All, all throughout the Old Testament, uh, darkness is a symbol of the judgment of God. Here is God casting judgment on Jesus. He is judging Jesus. Jesus is under judgment here. And one of the things what, what, we've, what we've really got to realize is this, that the Bible also talks about darkness in, in a different way, that we can either be in spiritual light or spiritual darkness. We can either trust in Jesus and have our life revolve around him, or we can go off into spiritual darkness, walk away from him. And darkness is a terrible thing. My dad, when he was younger, he did, my dad had a great life, especially in his 20s. 
my, my dad just traveled everywhere, worked everywhere. He had so many great stories. And one time he told me that as a 23-year-old, he, um, he worked up in Greenland in the middle of winter. And what you've got to realize where he was working was that for about three, four months of the year, there was no sun. It was completely black, right? And, he, and at this time, he was working in a, um, in a small town, but for a few days, he had to go outside of this town about 20 k's away and work on this very, very remote uh, farm or something like that. And one night, when they were just sitting around having dinner, the lights went out, the power went out. And at that time... The, there was overcast, the clouds were there, and so there was no light, even from the stars. It was total pitch blackness for four days. And I, I said to Dad when he was t- telling me about it, I, I said, hey, Dad, that must have been freezing cold. He goes, oh, well, you can just put another jumper on or that kind of thing, right? And Dad grew up in Denmark, so the cold didn't really bother him because he was Viking, right? But, but he said the, the biggest thing was darkness, the darkness was terrible. You, you, you couldn't see a hand in front of your face. You couldn't see where you were going. And he said he could feel himself slowly going mad, slowly going crazy because he lost touch with reality because he couldn't see. You, you, you see, God is like the sun, And when we orbit our lives around him, we are in the light, we can see reality. But when we decide to orbit our lives around something else, we go off into spiritual darkness. And unfortunately, we lose touch with reality. And don't we see a world where where we see so many of us orbiting around anything but God? And when I look at our world, don't we see a lot where we just go, it's kind of crazy some of the things that are are happening in the world. And you see, if you all put your life in an orbit around something that is not God, whatever that thing is, it may be a good thing, but it cannot fill your soul. It cannot give you the light that you're looking for. I recently was talking to a friend whose marriage has ended. And I was talking to to him and he said in the final conversation he had with, with his wife, they both said, I was really disappointed in my marriage because I thought when I married you, I thought you would make my life worth living. And what have they done? They have decided to center all their hopes and dreams on another person. They've, tried, they've decided to orbit their lives around one person. What happens? They've lost touch with reality because reality says no person can ever do that to you, for you. I've got another, another friend who I grew up with and he is a multi-multi-millionaire. And he just sent me, a, sent me a message about six months ago and he said, and we were you know, catching up and he said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm over here and you know, he was actually over in San Francisco watching my, um, my favourite basketball team. He was in the third row right behind Steph Curry and I wasn't jealous at all. And uh, you know, he said, oh, dude, you would love being here. And I was like, well, don't tell me. Anyway, <laughs> and, 
And then we got chatting, and he's, he said, I said, mate, it must be great to have all that money to be able to do that. And he goes, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. And as he talked, he talked about how it's just, he's, he's searching for something more. You, you see, the Bible says very clearly when we decide to orbit our lives not around God, around something else, we go to spiritual darkness and that thing that we orbit our lives around will never fulfill us. But not only that, the Bible says that one day God will come back and weigh up our lives to see if we orbited our lives around him or something else. And judgment will come and we will be in darkness if we've decided to live in spiritual darkness. And so therefore, can you see why verse 33 is so significant? Let me read it again. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. What is Jesus doing there? Jesus came to die to experience the extreme spiritual darkness, the judgment of God that was yours and mine. He experienced the judgment of God so that you wouldn't have to. For all the times that you and I have decided to orbit our lives around something else that is not God, Jesus came to deal with that. How bad is this spiritual darkness? Have a look at verse 34. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lamasak Banathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out to, to God, his heavenly Father, who all the way through Mark's gospel, in, or in fact, all the way through all four gospels, he had a perfect relationship with. Before the creation of the world, he had this loving relationship with. And now, God, his heavenly Father, has, has in judgment turned his back on him, has forsaken him. Now, now it's one thing, it would be one thing if you came up to me and said, Hans, um, I can't stand you, I don't want to have anything to do with you, and you turn your back on me and walked away. That would be one thing. Can I just say, I'd probably get over it. But imagine if one of my kids did. Imagine if one of my kids came up to me and said, Dad, I can't stand you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Turned their back to me and walked away. That would crush my soul. And here something of a cosmic, uh, cosmic event is happening here. Because God the Heavenly Father is turning his back on the Son in judgment can you see how dark this is? But once again, here is the Heavenly Father turning his back in judgment on Jesus so he can face you in love. He can face you in forgiveness. Jesus was rejected that you might be accepted. Jesus was cast away that you might be welcomed home. Jesus was spurned as an enemy so that you might be welcomed as a friend. Jesus on the cross experienced hell's worst so that you could experience heaven's best. Jesus was stripped naked so that you might be clothed in royalty. Jesus was wounded that you may be healed. Jesus wore a crown of thorns so one day you would wear a crown of glory. 
Jesus closed his eyes in death so one day you could open your eyes to eternal life. Jesus died so that you can live forever. Can you see why Christians call the death of their Savior good? Good Friday. Because, yes, Jesus died for us. But it's good because he saved us. And he saved you and me. And why, why is this so practical? It's not only practical because we get to be reminded that Jesus has dealt with everything so we could come back to him. But think about what's happening in your life. I dare say some of us are going through some really, really hard times at the moment. And you're asking, well, why? Why am I going through this really dark period of my life? Does God love me? Of course he loves you. Because he went through extreme spiritual darkness for you. So that no matter how dark your days are, you know that God loves you through them all because of what Jesus has experienced for you. Can you see how much Jesus loves you? So today, it will be the wrong thing to to walk away from today more aware of your own failings and sin and shortcomings than being more aware of what Jesus has done for you. Walk away today, yes, remembering what Jesus has done, but remember that he did it for you so you could be free, so you could be welcomed home. And that's the last point. Why did Jesus die? To open the way to God. There's two kind of verses here that are kind of like, uh, it's just, it just seems a bit odd. Have a look at verse 38. This is after Jesus died. He breathed his last in verse 37. Verse 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And we read that and you go, well, why is Mark really concerned about the interior decorating of the temple? Why does he talk about that? He's just talked about Jesus dying and then he, then like as a movie, it flashes to the temple, the, the, the temple's curtains torn in two. We go back to Jesus and we're like, what was that about? See, what you've got to realize is, is that the temple curtain was this very thick curtain. It, it, it was this curtain that blocked everyone from what was called the most holy place where God was said to dwell. And once a year, a high priest would go behind that curtain and would make atonement for the sins of all Israel. When Jesus died, he dealt with all our sin so that the entryway to God is not through religious experience. It is not through a high priest. It is through him. And so what does God do to symbolize that? He rips that curtain in two. So now we can have access to God. But who is this access for? Who do you have to be to get access to God? Well, I wonder if you saw in verse 15 the people that don't get access. Pilate, who's the leader, who's one of the greatest uh, leaders of the time in Israel, he doesn't get access because he rejects Jesus. 
All the religious leaders end up rejecting Jesus. So, so I think Mark is saying it's not about being powerful. It's not, not about being someone who, who in the world's eyes is significant. And it's not about being really, really religious because the really, really religious people actually kill Jesus. But have a look at who sees who Jesus is. Have a look at verse 39. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. He can see who Jesus is. But notice who it is. It's a soldier. He's not an aristocrat or something like that. He is a soldier. He has seen death a lot. He is he has participated in death. He has killed people. He has put people on the cross over and over and over and over again. But he sees this one man, this one Galilean who dies, and he says, wait up. There was something there that I cannot see. There, there is something there. What is it? Well, if you read the four Gospels, you see Jesus dying in an extraordinary manner. Jesus prays to the Father saying, forgive the people that are crucifying him. He talks to one of the thieves on the cross with him. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. He cares about the people who are before him. And I dare say this centurion has never seen that before. He's probably seen people dying, screaming, probably spitting at the crowds. But Jesus has compassion on the crowds. And, and I dare say this centurion has heard a bit about Jesus. And therefore he sees this and he sees the beauty in Jesus' death. He sees Jesus forgiving others. And he hears that maybe this guy was the son of God and he is convinced that this guy is the son of God by how he died. And I wonder what you see in the death of Jesus. Do you see a, another young man dying on a cross? There were thousands of them back in, in, in Jesus' day. Or do you see something beautiful? See, Christians see something beautiful in the death of Jesus because it was Jesus who took our spiritual darkness. It was Jesus who took the judgment of God on himself. It was Jesus who is the one who opened the way to God. And who do we have to be to, to, to get that? We just have to see the beauty in his death and resurrection and trust in him. Today, on Good Friday, can you see that beauty? Can you see what Jesus has done for you? And how are you going to respond? Are you going to put your trust in Jesus this day and every day? And are you going to set the orbit of your life around Him and trust in Him? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that on this Friday we call good, we are reminded in such a powerful way about what Jesus has done. Lord, I pray for us that as we have seen clearly who Jesus is, that he's the king of the universe, as we've seen clearly what he has done for us, 
as we see clearly that he has opened the way to you. Lord, we pray that we will put our trust in you. Lord, that we would live for you. We would orbit our lives around you. And when we have chosen to not orbit our lives around you, may we be reminded of what Jesus has done so that we would realise that we are right with you because of what he's done, not because of us. Thank you for Good Friday. Amen.